Thanks for listening to the nice podcast. I'm Dave Delaney. If you haven't noticed, we've taken a little bit of a hiatus over the last several months. Uh, A big revelation was found. I have ADHD, and that explains a whole lot. And of course, naturally, as a veteran podcaster, I started another podcast all about it, and it's called ADHD Wise Squirrels, and you can find it at wisequirrels.com or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Just search ADHD Wise Squirrels. Pop over and have a listen. Let me know what you think. Thanks. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash mpn to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash mpn. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. If your kids refer to you and their mom as the olds, that's insulting. Mm. It is only insulting in a world where old is an insult, right? And it becomes where we, where ageism creeps in is any value judgment on the basis of age, including you're too young. Nice. 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 I'm your host, Dave Delaney from futureforth.com, where we help fast-growing companies improve culture so you have happier, more connected people. Today, I'm speaking with Ashton Applewhite, an internationally recognized expert on ageism. Ashton is at the forefront of the emerging movement to raise awareness of ageism and to dismantle it, which I'm I'm all about that. I love it. Ashton, welcome to NICE. Thank you. Great to be here, Dave. Yeah, it's great to have you. So tell me, what is the nicest thing someone has done for you recently? Um, God, this sounds really, really horn blowy, but the nicest thing that happened to me, because it still just knocked my socks off, was that the the Decade of Healthy Aging, which is a collaboration between the UN and the World Health Organization, named me one of the Healthy Aging 50, 50 leaders around the world working, this is their language, working to make the world a better place to grow old. And they said, I speak truth to power. Truth to power. And what, you know, so I was, that just blew the top of my head off. That happened in September. I can't think of a organization more amazing to be recognized by. And I feel like I can retire now. My work is done. You're done. Yeah. Good job. Yeah. Ageism is, ageism (laughs) is dead in the water. We are. Wow. That was super efficient. (laughs) That's awesome. Congratulations, by Thank the way. You. I mean, I know you've been really you've 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 been very active in this in this world for a long, long time. Um, and so obviously that that is long-ish, 15 years. I mean, 15. I didn't start it till I was in my mid-50s. So yeah, is that so you read uh so um so your book, which is called This Chair Rocks, a manifesto against Asianism. 
came as a result of you interviewing people over 80 for a project call. Uh, what was the project called originally? So you want to retire? So, so, so when are you going to retire? Right. Which was sparked by something um, people said to my in-laws who were in their 80s at the time and were booksellers. And it's just an example of everyday ageism. Look at an older person. And first of all, the assumption that you probably are retired. And if you're not, why not? Right. And that's interesting these days too, with like the fire movement of like young people like aiming to try to retire at earlier ages, this financial independence, retire early movement. Are you familiar with this? uh, Yes. Uh, I have to say, I think the whole, not only is everything we know about work changing, the whole idea of retirement is I think actually obsolete. And the idea of you know, you may might retire from employment or employment for someone else, but most of us don't employ don't we don't retire in the literal sense from life, from mm. work, from doing things that have meaning and purpose for us. And in a world of longer lives, it all you know, population aging is a permanent global trend. We're gonna move in and out. You know, mm-hmm. we're going to, we're going to, no one is, has the career for life anymore. Right. So we're, and we're going to need to be constantly retraining and learning new things and being reskilled. So it's not like, you know, learn all the things, do one thing for X number of years right. and then retire and play golf. That, that scenario is completely obsolete now, I think. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I think, you know, and I, I know of people actually, and, and I think I, I, you, you probably know of studies and things about this where when, when somebody who is uh, getting older and retires, um, so to speak, traditionally speaking, um, if they do too early, like a lot of times people die because they have no, like, especially business owners, I'm saying like people that they don't have any direction anymore or anything to do. And they, they run out of steam in a way. Work, yeah. work is good for us if you are lucky enough to have a job you like or that has meaning and that isn't, you know, bad for you physically. It is the thing when when I was interviewing people over 80 who worked at the very genesis of this project, yeah. um, I learned that work is good for you for all sorts of intuitively obvious reasons. The number one reason people love their jobs or li- like going to work, and we saw this in the pandemic as well, is for the connection to other people and for men in particular for uh, two reasons you know w- one that that women tend to be more the custodians of social relationships and have more friends than men do and mm. also you know in a very uh, work driven um pr- productivity oriented hyper capitalist society work is often the the primary source of identity for many people men in particular so when we don't have that and we haven't thought of other ways to continue you know finding purpose and happiness in life it's it can be really harsh yeah no that's a great that's a great point especially when the message is now you're all you have no purpose and you're old so you're useless and should you know totter off stage right yeah it is it is such an interesting time too how we have you know sort of in the information age where you know we have digital nomads and people that you know I've worked for myself for over a decade now and I've worked from home for over a decade um during that time and it is incredible the freedom you get from from you know, and and it's very encouraging too, because, you know, you can, in theory, at any age, continue working, especially, especially digitally. It's not about age. Right. It's almost never about age. I mean, I just turned 70, 
when I turned 65, you know, which is the traditional age of retirement in the U.S., even though that whole phrase is problematic. There's not, it's a, it's a tradition that's obsolete. There shouldn't be a fixed age and retirement itself needs, the concept needs retiring. Other than that, the phrase is fine. But a lot of my friends, a lot of teachers, retired professors, and I find my, I found myself being really judgy about it and having to check myself as to why, if you can't afford to not go into work, and you, that makes you happy. Who am I to say no? You should do this thing. It's so you know Protestant work ethicy and so judgy. I am lucky enough to have work that I love and am more engaged than I ever have been. But a huge part of that is is luck, and I get to make my own hours. Yeah. You know, and I don't have to do stuff. I mean, I have to do tons of stuff I don't want to do. Not every part of my my you know work life is fun, but I have enormous control over it. Yeah. You know, which is not true for most people. So do you think it's a matter of the language of it all, the word retirement? Language matters a lot always because it's sort of a, a beacon or a litmus test or whatever. And yeah. uh but no, I I it's it's all bound up in everything, in economics, in gender roles, in what's happening to the to the planet in globalization. There's nothing it doesn't touch. It's just interesting because like, if you could move like, you know, you mentioned, and I'm I'm married to an educator too. So she's, you know, excited about, you know, retirement, uh, you know, uh, getting that, you know, kind of the end of her career, at least in its current iteration. But uh, yeah, no, I, I almost feel like there should be like a different And there's nothing wrong with that. I just learned last week that the Spanish word for retirement is jubilación or probably jubilación. Forgive me. Right. Jubilation. Wow. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's it's also culturally constructed. Like in uh, in Japan, there's a special word, which I can't remember, for your 60th birthday, which is this celebration of probably being able to work less hard or fewer hours and being, you know, probably free of major caregiving responsibilities, at least for your kids and this time of purpose and self-discovery. So that's just an example of how these values are relative and changeable and, and depend on cultural surrounds and a million other factors. It's also a really good example of how, we can keep learning. And like the fact that that you didn't know that word and you've worked in this space for 15 years or the Spanish word, um, and you've worked in this space for so long that like, it's so cool that you have it upon that. I mean, I do it all the time. I find new things. <laughs> you know, if you had told me 15 yeah. years ago, I started thinking about aging because I was realized how apprehensive I was about getting old. And if you had said to me, um, this is going to become the, the, your life's work or the rest of your life's work, I would have said, why do I want to think about something so icky and depressing? Yeah. And it is, aging is not something sad and annoying that old people do. It is how we move through life. We are aging from the minute we're born. And for generalists, which I deduce that you are as I am, it, it just gets more interesting all the time because it yeah. touches on every field of study, every aspect of the human condition, from the spiritual to the most mechanical. It just gets more interesting all the time. Yeah, it does. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it really is fascinating. 
Uh, and when, it you, is, when you think that there's like this, I'm going to call it age cooties, this enormous presumption like, ooh, yeah. ick, sad, dull, limited. And it's the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's partly maybe our being sort of demeaning to ourselves in a way. Like, you know, like my teenagers, my my 16 and 17 year olds, you know, they actually refer to the olds. <laughs> And that's exactly me, right? And so to, to them, I, I you too, are. Though. I yeah. do too. But it is to them, you are. Yeah, but it is interesting. What about like what? Are, what are your thoughts in in, in embracing but uh, aging? Um, because obviously, it is something we do. I mean, I've got I've had these on my desk now. Um, I turned fifty in April, and um, you know when I was forty five, like clockwork. I couldn't read what I was the fine print <laughs> on things. Like I opened the fridge, pulled the thing out and I'm like, crap, I can't see this. And my wife's like, yeah, you need readers. Um, and now she, she, she just bought me like five pa- pairs. There you go. Have, I was just still have in, them on every table. Right. But I mean, also, Oh, sorry. I was going to say like, I also have like back problems. I've got like arthritis in my spine, blah, blah, blah. Um, so what are your thoughts in, in sort of embracing uh, uh, aging it, it, you, you have my it, ailments. Congratulations. Yeah, that's um, what I'm standing right now. <laughs> I just want to put one little comment about what your kids say, yes. because my hunch is that a, people hearing this will think, oh, if your kids refer to you and their mom as the olds, that's insulting. Hmm. It is only insulting in a world where old is an insult, right? Oh, I love that. And it becomes where we where ageism creeps in is any value judgment on the basis of age, including you're too young. By the way, if people dismiss your kids because they couldn't possibly know what they're doing or being trusted with a responsibility, that's ageism too. If they call you the olds, meaning to denigrate you or that you couldn't possibly know what's going on, that's ageist. To you, to them, you are ancient. You are old. And that is a neutral observation. You are a lot older than they are. And when we're young, it's hard to imagine being old. So the so calling you that is not itself problematic. It gets problematic if either people on either end of that are attaching value mm. to the term, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, as far as embracing aging, I mean, everything you just described has to do with physical function. Mm-hmm. That's not actually about age. It's about ability, right? I mean, my back started hurting when I was pregnant. I was 30. Right. Yeah. I am. I see better now than I did when I was seven, when I started wearing glasses, because I'm really maybe not better. But I've had two cataract operations yeah. and now I have glasses on now for a little mediation. But I can you know, I can see, uh, you know, taking my glasses off. I can see you on the Zoom screen, which I couldn't when yeah. I was 30. So it's it's really important to think about how much of our apprehension about getting old is tethered to apprehension about how our minds minds as well as our bodies might change that's not actually ageism it's mm. ableism mm. it's stereotypes and stigma around physical and mental capacity and it's important to know what we're up against that aspect of aging there are only two inevitable bad things about aging and they both suck right people you've known all your life are going to die and there's no replacing them. And some part of your body is going to fall apart. And mm. those changes are really, really unwelcome. And physical decline, cognitive decline is not inevitable. Some part of your body is going to decline, but it's going to decline 
differently in me than in you. You and I happen to have some overlap in this, this sense. If I were a runner, it would I would feel much more um, you know, impaired by my arthritis then, but I'm not, right? So so yeah, yeah. we we experience the the different symptoms. People with the same symptoms can be more or less bothered by them, and so on and so on. Uh, and so when you talk about, and it's really hard to embrace the fact, I mean, I had to have my shoulder replaced a year ago. I had such bad arthritis, but now because I'm on Medicare and can afford the surgery and yeah. live near a good hospital, my shoulder is better than ever. If I didn't have any of those benefits, I would be severely restricted by that. So some days I can embrace those changes and some days it's harder but there are so many, you, as, as you can hear, I'm never going to, the scary things about aging are real, not just the physical aspects, but the possibility of running out of money, the mm. possibility of ending up alone. Those fears are legitimate and real, but we only hear in an ageist society, the negative side of the story, right? We only, yeah. so I'm kind of in the both sides of the story business. I'm going to embrace it on Tuesday and on Thursday, something's going to happen. That's going to make me, you know, not embrace it so much or feel differently, yeah. but that's true of everything else in life. Being young is hard too. Yeah. Would you go back to your teenage years? Oh God, no. <laughs> God, no. Right. I wouldn't for a zillion dollars. So how come yeah. we never talk about that? Right. Yeah. You know, is that embracing youth? Well, yeah, I want to be, uh, uh, no, actually I don't. So I'm sort of, let's talk about aging and all it's messy, you know, both universalities and particularities and question the notion that everything about getting old is awful and everything about being young is great. Yeah. And I love the way that you approach it both ways. You know, the, the, I think that's really important in your 2017 Ted talk, um, which by the way, has over 2 million views and, and rightfully so, by the way, cause you're, it's awesome as a speaker myself. I love your, I will say I did. I did nail it. I didn't go on. It's a <laughs> week long thing. And my talk was scheduled on Thursday night. I had been there since Sunday and I would, I would have walked out on that stage naked just to get it over with by then. But yeah. it, I did nail it. Thank you very much. You really did. And you, you, you did talk about that. I, and I put my foot in my mouth there for a second because uh, earlier, because yeah, to your point, like you talked about your, uh, the knee, uh, was it like, <laughs> and, and, and you reminded me when you're talking about running, remind for folks it's, who haven't watched the TED talk. Honestly, it's an old gag. I didn't make it up, but it, it is, it is a really good example of the way we blame things on age reflexively because every ad does, every magazine does, you know, not that there's something wrong with us. It's everywhere in the culture around us. I stopped blaming my sore knee on being, I was 64 at the time and being 64 because my other, other knee doesn't hurt and it's just as old. Right. Or maybe, right. Maybe my back hurts like crazy, but you know, I just made a Thanksgiving dinner with a lot of help for 12 people. And that actually come to think of it did happen. I, I let like the end of the day, my back was really bugging me. And I was like, oh, I carried a cast iron pot full of stuff to it. I had to use an oven in the back apartment and back. Yeah. And, and, and then I said to myself, next time I'm going to ask someone to carry it for me. You know, yeah. I mean, the whole asking for help thing is a whole huge piece of this too. What are some ways that you can, or, you know, that people can ask for help or incur or like ways to either encourage them to ask for help or actual ways that they can ask for help? 
My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash mpn to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash mpn. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Well, asking for help depends on the circumstances. Of course, we have already circled back to um, to sort of, I don't know, if toxic masculinity, but this idea, the asking for help is somehow shameful. Mm. It's even more shameful for men because you all, you know, women are supposed to age well by never looking old and men are supposed to age well by being active and strong. And there is no more truly toxic notion swirling around, around, not, and I would say aging in the broadest sense, moving through life, than this idea that we are independent. No one is independent ever. We are interdependent from life, from birth to death. It is especially American, I think, with this idea of, you know, the, 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 the rugged individualist, you know, the cowboy off, you know, going off into the sunset by himself. Mm. And it is so terrible for us individually and collectively. Kids need help. Babies need help. If you're carrying a baby, you need help. If you're carrying a package, you need help. If you broke your foot, you need help. All those things can happen at mm. 16 or 26 or 46 or 86. And so a huge collective task is to destigmatize asking for help and accepting help and remembering that these are two-way transactions. I, I The cheesy exercise at a conference I was at a while ago where the person says, who likes to help people? And every hand goes up and who likes to get help? And everyone dives under their chair. People love to help. I mean, yeah. I used to practice. I live in Brooklyn in a neighborhood where the median age is very young. And I would come to the suitcase for a business trip and I'd have my computer bag and my purse and my suitcase. And I would force myself to ask someone to carry it down the stairs for me. Mm. And, you know, and the person always picked it up. It was a little demoralizing, like it was a lunchbox, right? And I'm like, can you at least like grunt a little bit? But they would like be, they were super happy to ask me. And yes, could I have wrangled the bag? Yeah. But, you know, what What am I trying to prove? Mm. A, a question that comes up all the time is people, I have a, a Q&A block called Yo, Is This Ageist? Where you can send in questions. And, and the version of it, this came in, a woman was incensed. Uh, older woman that some young some young guy is how she put it. She was in the using the self-checkout machine at a drugstore or whatever. And he assumed she needed help. And she was enraged or getting an offer of a seat on the bus. Mm. The offer is a generous expression of community and kindness. The trick is to listen to the answer. And I think this guy at the drugstore didn't listen, right? But mm. she snarled at him. 
And most people that aren't, you know, in the world, when they say, do you have a, have a seat? Now, what do I look like? You know, and, you know, they would never take the seat yeah. because they see it as an insult. It is not an insult. It's an insult if you grab someone's elbow. It's an insult if you don't, not an insult, but not, it ceases to be a, a kind gesture for the other person if yeah. you don't listen to and respect the answer. But it is our internalized ageism in our internalized ableism that makes us angry and makes us think, oh, that the way that person is seeing me has nothing to do with the way I look or the way I am. And the fact is, you look, they are being ageist. If the guy in the drugstore was only helping the old people or yeah. only helping the women, he was indeed being ageist and sexist. Yeah. But instead of snarling, if you say, what makes you think I you know, can't work it in not in a snarky way, be nice. Um, then the person has to think about, gee, why did I assume that? And that's when we, we come to fate terms with our internalized ideas and stereotypes. Yeah. It's very interesting about when you think about it, when you are, are self-aware that you are in, in this case being ageist, because like, for example, and this is happening against to yourself. Absolutely. But yeah. as, we're, as we're talking here, as you're speaking, I, I was recalling, you know, I was just in Toronto visiting my mom and, and some friends and I was on a crowded bus and uh, I was standing, but uh, an elderly woman got on the bus and these young people were sitting there and nobody got up to even in the handicapped seats, but whatever, they nobody gave her their seat. And I'm like, these young people are a bunch of assholes. <laughs> but, but but what I really should have been thinking about, I mean, I, I should have been thinking that, um, but I should have been thinking of them as young people, just that they're assholes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, it, it's complicated. I mean, I have uh, take issue with the bus signs that there's the one in New York is particularly cloying. It says, won't you please, with this little heart, give up your seat to the elderly or the disabled? And- what it should say, and I don't use the word should very often, it should say, won't you please offer your seat to anyone who looks like they might need it? Could right. be a pregnant person, could be a person with their foot in a cast. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But that's, we, we, you know, it is a kinder, kinder word, world where if you're, I mean, I always think of people in nursing scrubs. I know they've been on their feet yeah, that's for, 15, for 15 hours. Yeah. And, you know, they're almost certainly tireder than I am. Yeah. So offer it, but listen to and respect the answer. You know, it, who, who the people who give up their seats for me are almost always young, um, black or brown men. Hmm. Because it's more culturally, I'm inferring, um, you know, older people are are more held in more respect in those cultures. And they would never, I think, you know, claim the big chair if they're abuela you know, came in the room. So they yeah. are acting, you know, and I, I say thanks and sit down or unless I'm getting out at the next stop, but I'm always say, thank you. How can we improve this from as a, a like, um, uh, cause you made a, you made, you raised a great point. Um, you know, I, I spoke at a conference, a small event in Iqaluit, Nunavut in, in the Canadian Arctic a number of years ago. And it was an absolutely thrilling, uh, just a wonderful experience. I bet um, I'm jealous. Uh, it was, it was great. Um, and at the, as the opening of this event, uh, an elder went through a ritual, um, and you know, I won't go into the whole 
details of it, but, but with like, uh, w- with first nations people and, and, you know, how, uh, how respectful they are to elders and, and in many different cultures to that point, like they, they do, you know, Japanese or Asian cultures, for example, very much respect, uh, uh, elders. Um, how can we as a society do a better job, uh, at this instilling these, these, well, it's a big job. That's why I do what I do. Um, I often make myself, um, unpopular with older people by saying that I don't think people deserve respect just because we got old. Mm. I think young people deserve respect too. Mm -hmm. I think, and you know, in the, in the, the bus, it's really, it's not necessarily age, it's ability. Although let's not be in denial of the fact that, you know, older people are more, more likely to be, this is true, you know, a a little unsteady on our legs or perhaps more tired, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, So I want a world where we show respect to all a world of age equity and where we receive the support we need at whatever point in the lifespan we happen to need it, right. Mm-hmm. Of whatever kind. Um, it, uh, I, you know, we, we have a big job in front of us because Western culture is so ageist, but we have wonderful models in indigenous culture. So mm-hmm. go, go to the Arctic and see how those societies operate. That said, I'm guessing that where you were was um, not urban and mm. was where people of all ages live in community. People mm. say, it's better somewhere else to me and look sort of wistfully eastward. It's better where people live in mixed age communities because then everyone has has visibility and purpose and an identity in the community. Mm. But guess what? Urbanization, capitalization, uh, cap- capitalism, you know, have met means that more and more people are living in cities and not in mixed age communities. The, so, so it's a big job. The place to start is between our own ears. So, somebody probably Gandhi or the Buddha don't or you probably know who says said all change starts within mm-hmm. the essential starting point is to look at our own attitudes towards in this case, age and aging also to some degree, physical capacity and, look for evidence that we are biased, which we all are, right? No shame in it. Everyone is biased. I think ages things all the time, even after all this working on it. But we can't challenge bias unless we're aware of that. So the first thing to do is to examine your own attitudes towards age and aging. It's my favorite comment from people who read my book is like, oh crap, I had no idea how much of this stuff was ingrained in my thinking and how I participate in it. So the good news is once you have that, oh crap moment, or my my son's old girlfriends described it as, um, oh shit, no shit moments. Like, oh, I hope, can we, can I say shit on your podcast? Oh shit. uh, This is, uh, you know, I am part, I am brainwashed by this and participating in it. And then what happens, the no shit moment is right around the corner and and it's, they're tied. Once you see it in yourself, you, it's like a genie coming out of a bottle or a curtain lifting. You start to see it and hear it around you. And that's, the point at which, and this is what consciousness racing does. You're like, oh, it's not my fault. I'm not a bad person. I grew up in this culture. It is embedded in it. 
it is, these are social and economic issues that we can come together and do something about. And how, how we change the world, that depends on each of us. But even if all you do is stop blaming your sore knee on being 64, so to yeah. speak, yeah. you're going to stop doing that. Yeah. And maybe if a friend does that, you'll say, gee, did you ever think it's maybe because you cooked dinner for 10 people yesterday? Every conversation moves the needle. And even if you, all you do, and it's not a big all, not a small ask, it's a big ask. Even if all you do is manage to relate more neutrally or mm. more positively as a corrective to the, all the negatives in the culture to your own march through life, you will change the world around you because you'll put out a different energy and you'll talk about it differently. Do you find, I'm, I'm, I'm curious how this can be, how leaders of organizations can be more mindful here of ageism and how that plays out, you know, in an office or. I mean, short answer, Mm. age is a criterion for diversity. Mm. You know, here's a, here's a, I hope you're not sitting down. Maybe you should sit down. (laughs) Experience is not a liability. It is an asset. It is just nutty to have to even say that out loud Mm. there. You know, we've gone a long way. Uh, never far enough, but in addressing gender bias and racial bias and bias against sexual orientation in the workplace. And each of those biases is different. And the way each individual experiences them is also different. So I don't mean to say there's a blunt instrument, but everything we have learned about addressing those other forms of bias, most of which are unconscious, we can apply to reducing age bias. Look around the table. You know, we now usually notice if everyone's white, mm-hmm. if everyone's male, mm-hmm. right? Is everyone the same age? You know, mm-hmm. I- unless there's a really good reason for it, and I'm pretty sure there never is, um, you know, ch- draw the ch- criticize it, challenge that through the same lens. I wonder, and I'm assuming here, of course, but that a younger person could be paid less because they're starting out in their career. And for like a, you know, a fledgling startup, uh, not to make excuses or anything, but they're more likely to hire younger people because of the at least perceived notion that a more seasoned person may cost a lot more in order, like for a salary may have. Yeah. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? You know, it's complicated by and large. That is true. But I never, ever, ever want to get into saying, Older people are better employees than younger people or vice versa, because the goal, as with gender, as with race, um, as with all these things, is diversity. We want older and younger people at the table. There's a zillion studies that show that, you know, younger people are younger brains are quicker at certain kinds of processing, but older people are, you know, bring more, you know, are, are better at certain emotional blah, blah, blah. I don't even like I don't want to even finish the sentence because I'm sure there are some younger people who are better at that task and da da da. No, no but generalization it's, about it's, people the same age is ever true. But we do know yeah, yeah. that mixed age teams function better, especially when it comes to tasks that involve complex decision making mm. and creative tasks. So the it, you know, if you if you work your way up, it is reasonable that your experience would be better. Um, compensated, but there's much more turnover of younger people. Mm. And so the the cost of retraining them is not factored into this blunt equation. Neither is the value of the institutional knowledge and memory 
that older people bring, which is why you want mixed age. I, it's it's really important to remember that age bias on the part of corporations and employers disadvantages people at both ends of the age spectrum. It is used as a blunt instrument to keep wages, overall wages low, so they can justify paying young people crap wages, mm. and so they can justify letting go of older people who, quote unquote, got expensive. You know, what we need is wage transparency. What we need is to reduce all the biases and look at each individual worker as a human being for what they have in common, independent of their age, the color of their skin and all the rest. Yeah. And to, you know, to the point about, uh, you know, with, with, uh, with getting older and being wiser because of the experiences that you've had in, in your life. I mean, I, I, speaking personally at 50, like, I'm definitely the best iteration of myself yet. And in fact, I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited to meet the 60 year old Dave and the 70 year old Dave. And, 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 and I like, I love talking with people who are older than me because I'm, I'm curious to hear of like what things that I can look forward to, what revelations that I might learn these things that as you get older, you, you tend to, to discover. You know? <laughs> I mean, I never say that older, I never equate age with wisdom because there are plenty of older people who don't seem to have learned a thing along the way. Yes. You know, and there are plenty, I mean, have you ever met that wise child where you meet like a, a like a young child and you're like, oh, this kid knows everything. Yeah. I, you know, so I mean, I'm being a little woo-woo on that on that count. Right. But for sure, we have more experience. I mean, you know, I'm 70. It's which seems like a that was like turn hitting that one was like, whoa, that that really is a big number. But yeah. I <laughs> I still feel, I mean, I'm trying to think like, is this am I like in denial here? Uh, you know, there's probably things I can't do as well or as fast, but I also bring to bear self-knowledge and confidence that was just not remotely accessible to me when mm -hmm. I was younger. And I think it makes me better at what I do. Yeah. My mom's 86 and she could take us both in a fight. Uh, she, she like lives by herself and she still acts and she does all these things. And it's like, yeah, it's uh it's it's really inspiring. And whenever you know people are always shocked to to learn how old she is. Yeah, yeah. Well, and then you know, you might ask them why or what and think about not not to nitpick, but you know, you, you said still acts. Listen for that still word. Yeah. yeah. It's an absolute reflex. I still do it. Yeah. But unless it's it, and it unless it's referring to an act of real extreme physical strength or speed, which is something we all lose categorically. Yeah. It doesn't belong there because why wouldn't she be acting or, yeah. or, you know, doing all the things or, you know, be, being romantic or, you know, going to the movies or whatever, but these yeah. are all things that give us pleasure. And no, it's, a, it's a, it's a very valid point. It's a great point. I know you were on the CBS morning show uh, recently and that reminded me, I wanted to ask you how that went, what the feedback was like, but it also reminded me, do you know Ronnie Bennett or are familiar with Ronnie Bennett? I, I know. I, she's no longer alive, I she believe. She's no longer yeah, alive. Yeah, I did. Yeah. yeah. So Ronnie, because Ronnie started cbsnews.com like back in the day. She huh. was like, she was the one behind their wet, their first website and all this. Um, but I saw Ronnie speak at a tech conference years ago. And she blew me away. And she was talking, she coined the term elder blogging, 
where, and she had a blog that, that was about that topic about getting older and, and yeah, time from, goes by time goes by. Yeah. Dot net, I believe. Um, and she was on my podcast actually, uh, on a previous podcast, but uh, the, the conversation we had was just so valuable and so wonderful and timeless, uh, that I, I have it on, on the nice podcast, uh, folks listening can find that interview. So yeah, but yeah, I'm glad. I guess I was just asking because I was curious if you're familiar with her work, but she was, yeah, she was awesome. She was very cool. Some old people are cool. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Some young people are not cool. Imagine that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll factor myself in the not cool. Uh, (laughs) Well, you're Canadian, (laughs) you know, you're just permanently handicapped there. (laughs) (laughs) Well played. Well played. All right, I'm going to move us to the lightning round because I want to be respectful of your Did time. Did I just alienate your entire listener base? <laughs> oh, no, I think they're all American. Except Arrogance my- goes before a fall. <laughs> <laughs> well, before I get into the lightning round, before I get into that, I am curious because you mentioned, so you were from D.C., and you live in New York now and have done like, when did you make the move? And and tell me a little bit about your history in D.C. And what oh, tell- I grew, I grew up in, in D.C. where yeah. um, no white people are born and grow up. Um, <laughs> but it wasn't a very interesting city then unless you wanted to be a politician or a lawyer. And I thought about being a lawyer briefly, but um, I traveled for a couple of years after college and um, failed to fail to settle overseas and moved to New York because that's what you do to seek your fortune and um, went to work in publishing because I didn't have a brighter idea and and uh, liked reading. Mm. Um, I mean, I, I've never had a plan. I've done everything in my life sort of by accident. I only became a writer in my forties. I stumbled on this oldness thing in a way I've already sort of described. Um, Mm. and I do think this is, I don't think I'm going to come up with something totally new to do with my life. This feels really interesting and really meaningful, especially in a world where everyone is living longer because we are not going to make the most of those longer lives, whether you are a, you know, farmer in Senegal or Peter Thiel thinking that he's going to invent some pill that's going to keep him alive forever. Right. Even if he, even if God help us, he lives to be a million, you know, the rich white guys who think we can do this, they are still going to be a million years old in a world that silences and discriminates against older people. Yeah. So we absolutely need to think of the women's movement think where where we would be if that movement hadn't confronted sexism right and and that stands between women and equality we need to mobilize around the world against the age bias and the ableism that stands between primarily older people mm-hmm. everywhere and equal rights yeah 100% all right here comes the lightning round so complete this sentence nice people finish oh i think first or I need to believe it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. What's a nice book beyond your own, uh, that you recommend, which I will include links to, of course, in the show notes, but what's a nice book that you recommend? Nice, li- uh, nice makers listing, uh, check out what, what makes a book nice in your opinion? It's up to you. It's your opinion. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll, I'll just reach for the book I just finished, which yeah. is, um, it's by a writer. It's fiction. It's sort of, it's stories, but they blend together in a novella of Andrea Barrett, um, mm. a natural history. She wrote, what was her, 
previous book is just fabulous. She wrote, won the National Book Award for a book of hers that uh, Ship Fever was okay. the first one that I read. And it's divine. Andrea Barrett, Natural History. Excellent. She, yeah. How is Ashton nice to herself? Um, by starting the podcast out with a big brag. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And if you had a billboard, what would it say? And ageism. <laughs> Not a surprise at all. How can, <laughs> how can folks get to get, learn more about you and get in touch? Uh, what, what's a good way for people to learn more? Um, well, I'm the only person in the world with my name my weird name. So if you can't find me, you're not trying hard enough. <laughs> my website is thischairrocks.com. Um, I'm at thischairrocks on social media and you can you know you can find my book at thischairrocks.com. You can find Yo is this ageist through that website or at yo is this ageist.com. And I just want to put in a mention of another website that I uh, co-created with two colleagues called it's it's uh, called old school old school info. It is the um, anti ageist clearinghouse. It's a repository of hundreds of free vetted resources to educate yourself about ageism and what to do about it. Everything from language guides to you know one minute animations. Um, everything is free except the books. But mm. I you know I had this. Wouldn't it be cool? I thought this movement is new. If there was one central resource to find, there's a whole campaign section, which we didn't even have when we started two years ago. So yeah. if you want to learn more about ageism, check out everything I've done, beg, borrow, and steal from anything I've said or done. Um, and I'll send you a link if you follow, to um, sort of things you can do to um, advance the movement if you want to get involved. Yeah, please do. Yeah, send send it along and I will uh, add it to the show notes here so so everybody can uh, can check that out. And and you since you mentioned it, yeah, your name is weird and in the best possible way. I mean, I'm a Dave. I mean, how many Daves are there? So tell me, uh, what's the story with your name? It's a really unusual, cool name. I and mean, you got the alliteration going, so you know you already got cred in my heart. Yeah, I um I know when it's Ashton Applewhite anti ageism activist, it's a lot of days. <laughs> um, I, all I can tell you is I was named after my great uncle whose name was Ashton Applewhite, whether I turned out a boy or a girl and haha. Very cool. I love it. I love it. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been fun. You're very welcome. Pleasure to meet you. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the show today. Would you do me a favor? Leave a review. The reviews help others discover the show and they mean a lot to me. So I would appreciate that. Did you know I am often hired as a keynote speaker for company retreats or for conferences? To find out more about that, you can visit DaveDelaneySpeaks.com. Music by Alistair Crystal at AlistairCrystal.ca. We'll see you next time. And be nice.
You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, Tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. 